Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our first podcast. My name is Mark Heath. I am partner and director of tax services here at McConley and Asbury. With me today is the one and only David Blaine. David is sporting his pink shirt today <laughs> for breast cancer awareness. Yes, and yes, I am, Mark. Yes, I am. So real men, real men wear pink, Mark. Real men uh, wear pink. You know, visit the website at Real Men Wear Pink Harrisburg, and uh, contribute to, to the campaign. Specifically, me of all the other candidates. <laughs> yes, yes, but we should note that you don't actually get any of that money. We should probably clarify. Yeah, exactly. That. I get zero of that money, but it's for a good yes. cause, Mark. And you know, um, you, you, you know, it's just. The, the, the cause can't be, you can't say enough about the cause and, and where the money goes and the breast cancer awareness and the research that goes around it. So proud to do it, proud to be a part of it. And, um, you know, I'm proud to be part of McConley and Asbury too. That's very, that's really backing it up and really supporting it as well. So. Cool. So without further ado, we're going to dive into our content here today. Uh, if, if you haven't listened to Dave and I uh, at, at all in the past, we've been doing a series of webinars on the CARES Act and the Paycheck Protection Loans. Uh, and one thing Dave and I always tried to do was, was just to provide a more practical uh, explanation and aspect to things. Uh, we, we hate just regurgitating the rules. Anybody can go out there and read all the rules. Uh, we like to comment on them to say, what, what do these actually mean? What do we think uh, the feds, the SBA uh, actually want to see with all of this? Uh, and so we, we came up with this idea. Well, why don't we apply this to other things? Because there's a lot of stuff out there, uh, particularly right now, a lot of rules, a lot of different things being passed uh, on a weekly, monthly basis that just... Are, are difficult to follow. So we're going to we're going to be here. We're going to break it down and try and simplify it for everybody and give give everybody some, some practical application. Dead so on, what Mark. We, so, so what do we what do we have first up? Mark, let's talk a little bit to start with about the, the most recent um, interim final rule that came out related to the Paycheck Protection Program loans. And this came out back at the end of August. Um, so it's still pretty fresh. But I think some of the things that came out in there, Mark, um, were, were somewhat interesting, to say the least. And, you know, I think uh, some of this will impact um, our clients, will impact businesses out there for sure. You know, the first item being these, uh, this concept of the 5% or less owner is now exempt from the owner's compensation rules. So, you know, Mark, when you think about it, to me, that just makes total sense. You know what I mean? Most of these owners that have 5% or less in the business, they're, they're not decision makers. They're probably just, you know, they're, they're regular employees, probably regular line employees working in the business. It, to me, I, I, I agree with what they did here, Mark. I think that this makes a lot of sense to extract them away from being part of the owner's compensation rules. I, should, I, I think it was unfair, actually, quite honestly, when they put these rules out initially, that those that were 5% or less were even included in there. I 100% agree. With that said, this drives me insane. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. I mean, think about it. I mean, we're now, how many businesses, Mark, out there do you think probably filed their application right. for forgiveness with the concept that these 5% or less owners needed to be in that owner's compensation column? And now all of a sudden, oh, you know what? They, they're exempt. They're exempt. You could pick up all their payroll costs. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's just it's 
I, I, I'd like to go back and listen to our webinars to see how many times we tried to clarify the, the, the question of, well, who's an owner? If you're an owner, you're an owner. I don't care if you point own yeah. 0.01% or 100%. You're an owner. That's that's what the rules say. And I mean, we must have we must have gotten the question 100 times going back to March and April. Here we are, August 24th, two weeks after the application window was opened, and they're throwing this out there. And, yeah, exactly. And, and they threw it out with the kind of the way of, oh, yeah, hey, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, by just, the way. Just, yeah. By the way, just extract those uh, people that have own less than five percent. We don't. We don't need them in the, in that calculation. <laughs> that's and, almost the way. That's almost the way it's presented in the IFR too. And to drive me even more <laughs> insane, they don't clarify it for general partners. All no. they, they just said for for owners of corporations. They, and so, not only did they clarify it super late in the game, they didn't even clarify it completely. Exactly. Exactly. So. But um, yeah, that that was that was the first interesting um concept that came out of that IFR. The next one that they talked about, which I thought, which I thought Mark was kind of common sense, but I guess it needed to be clarified, was a uh, this whole thing about the non-payroll costs related to business operations of a tenant or a subtenant are not forgivable costs. So you know, I kind of sit there and think to myself, like, I, I guess what could possibly happen is if you um, were leasing the property to a tenant and you had cost incurred for that tenant that you were passing along to the tenant that the, I guess the risk would have been for the SBA that the, that the, um, that the business was taking all those expenses and not taking the fact that they're getting reimbursed for those expenses through the rent. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, you can, I could kind of see that being something that needs to be clarified, but you know, the whole intent of the program work, I kind of go back to was, it was for payroll. You know, now we're all somewhere into this conversation about rent, and how rent gets handled with reimbursement. And uh, and, and and to further on that, a, this kind of speaks to, in, in defense of the SBA and the Treasury, this speaks to just how much they have to dig into this stuff. Because you're absolutely right. On the surface, you would look at this and say, oh, well, you know, of course that stuff's not going to qualify. But there's going to be somebody out there who's going to exactly. And there's so be somebody out there that says, you know what, I'm going to run all this cost. Right. I'm they, run all this cost through my tenant and um, get reimbursed for it. But yet I'm going to pick up all the expenses on my side. Right. And so yeah. there, so we end up having to legislate to the minority and, uh, and meanwhile, the rest of us are like, well, duh, like, why would you try and do that? But exactly. there's, there's people out there who do. I just found it. I, I just thought it was interesting. Um, you know, they also talk about uh, home-based businesses too, and household expenses. And they gave all these examples um, in in the IFR, where they talked about uh, also the whole thing with um, if the you know working out of your home. They talk about when determining the amount of non-payroll costs that are eligible for loan forgiveness, the borrower may include only the share of covered expenses that were deductible on the borrower's 2019 tax filings or in a new business, the borrower's expected 2019 tax filings. So basically, you know, the IFR is trying to give those that are working out of their home, that use a home office deduction, some type of benefit um, to being able to um, pick up some of those expenses, but also limiting them in, in some aspect or manner. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So if, if you're working out of your home and you have, deductible expenses for a home office, 
yeah, those those are deductible expenses on your tax return. It's home office deduction. That's all legit. But for purposes of the Paycheck Protection Loan, you'd have those expenses anyway, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I mean, that. It, <laughs> I just had this conversation actually uh, earlier this afternoon. I was doing a presentation on some of this uh, at another CPA group. And that's exactly what I said to him, the same thing. I'm like, you, you would have those expenses no matter what, right? Right. So, yeah, but you know, it's, it's interesting clarification. Good thing to note. Right. They also um, they, they also did clarify in here a little bit about uh, mortgage interest on an office building. It's just making sure that people are aware that with a with mortgage interest, um, if you have if you have mortgage interest in your a in your um in in your your renting, it's only it's only the mortgage interest piece that is deductible. And this is like item one A that that is driving me nuts with this because again, from day one, they just said as long as you have a rental agreement in place as of February fifteenth, then. You're fine. You know, you know, related party rent is fine. It's a legitimate expense. But then, I mean, I guess I can see this argument because if the if the if the building isn't owned by a separate legal entity and it's owned in the operating company, then you wouldn't have any rent. You would just have your mortgage interest. Yeah. But if, but if it's paid off, then you wouldn't have that either. And so, I mean, I I guess I see where they're going, and I I see why they got there. What took them five months to get there? To get there, yeah, I, I agree. You know, and unfortunately, if you own the property, if you own the property and you're the uh, and you're you're leasing it back to, um, as a related party lease, you're there's no deductibility. You're there. You can't right. take the rent. There's no because you have no real asset that it has that's mortgaged or has a lease on it. Right. So, but you're right though, Mark. In, here you here you know rules were passed five months ago. In which, I mean, how Mark, how many times did we get the question from people of related party rent? Like, is the related mm -hmm. party rent, um, you know, is it deductible? And we would always say, you know, if you read the way the guidance is laid out, the guidance does tell you that it is deductible rent. And you know, we and we were and we were advising people that, you know, as long as the rent is market rent, and it's it's within the market, you should be you should have deductibility. In this, in what they laid out here, you know, they said yes, yeah, somewhat, but it's only on the interest on the mortgage, and if there is no mortgage, you don't have any deductibility. Period. So it's nice that they told us that, like you said, nice they told us this five months later right. after some people already applied and took the and took into account too. Mark, think about it. They they took into account that like this is non payroll cost to them, and they were trying to figure out how to bet you know how to best use their non payroll piece, and they're applying it to rent when that rent's probably not deductible now. Yeah. yeah, I mean that could be that could be a pretty high number, and could yeah. completely could could blow your whole application out of the water. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, you know, people use people would make fun of me because whenever we were doing the webinars and everything, I would constantly say, "We see no reason why you can't do that." And because you you read it, you read the rules, and sure, we we see no reason why you can't. But this is exactly why we have to preface everything with we see no reason why you can't because at some point in time they might come back with a clarification just like this that says actually you can't yeah exactly and we also clarify with if i were you i'd make sure you clear this with the bank because the bank mm -hmm. has to give you loan forgiveness before it goes to the sba right so, so yeah so so mark when you so they were the three big items that we wanted to cover to start with um with the most recent ifr the five percent rule for the for the owners being non-exempt, the non-payroll costs related to business operations of a tenant or subtenant, 
and we this uh, related party rent matter. Um, you know, Mark. With that being said, you know, we this this kind of I think is a good segue to move into some of the things that we are learning or have learned as we've moved along in this whole process with these SBA loans. You know, and you know, we get con- we constantly are asked about the 24-week period and constantly asked about filing early and getting getting the debt off our books. And I think one of the things we've learned, Mark, to start with here is I want to be in such a great hurry to get to file this at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and well, this I was just going to say, this is reason number like 435 why you really <laughs> need to be strongly considering just scrapping the eight week period and just go into the 24 weeks. I don't care. Go 100 percent payroll. That is your easiest path to forgiveness. If you can just go 100% payroll, easy to verify, don't have to give up documentation outside of you know your 941s and a reconciliation to your total costs, and you're you're done. It's the easiest thing possible, uh, and you don't have to worry about any of this. You don't have to worry about the owner rule. You don't have to worry about related party rent, all the other stuff, and all the inter- other interim final rules. You don't have to worry about it. And you just you, you go back to the original intent of the act. Pay people even payroll. if they're not working. Yeah, pay, it was meant to be. Co- it was meant to cover payroll from the very start. I mean, my thinking on this, Mark, is unless it's a complete slam dunk, like you can file the thirty-five hundred eight EZ because you are a sole proprietor in you got a loan for $15,833 and you spent it in exactly that accordance, I would not be in a hurry to file this anytime soon. I, two, two reasons, like you said, number one, you're better off applying the majority of what you got to payroll just because of the mechanics of the ap- application itself. You know, If you think about the very first page of their market, it says take your payroll costs and divide it by 60%. It, you know what I mean? Because they're trying to get mm-hmm. to the lowest amount and whatever the lowest amount is what you, what you're uh, – loan forgiveness is. Well, you obviously you want the lowest from the amount to be the loan. Right. So the more you apply to payroll, the higher that number goes. So that 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 strikes that number right out of the water. So applying it to payroll using 24 weeks is the best option. But the second thing, Mark, is and just like we've seen here recently, you know, most recently this new IFR came out, which kind of changes the game on a couple of things. We've seen all kinds of talk in Congress. We, I, I mean, just today I saw that the uh, Speaker of the House has mentioned that uh, representatives of the House aren't to go home for recess until they work through a package for, um, you know, a CARES Act 2 bill or whatever you want to call it, the HEROES Act, what, whatever we're calling it right now. There's a really good chance that these rules are going to change and change significantly again, or there's going to be some new program. So why be in a hurry to to push this through? I would I would just take the twenty four week period, apply it to payroll. I agree, and I was just talking to somebody yesterday, whose bank is it's a large bank, still not accepting applications for forgiveness, despite being over a month into this thing. Um, and and the, the the individual was concerned that one maybe the bank was never going to be able to accept them, or there there was some big problem that was going to cause a big problem for forgiveness for them. Uh, and But the more I think about it and just what we've been reading in the last couple of days on, on up, the possibility of updated legislation, some of the stuff we're seeing in here is basically just saying you can use the payroll, payroll protection program loan for anything as long as it's business related. 
right. which is, I, I mean, they, they would they would still have to put the caps in there for compensation. Like there's no way they're going to let, you know, an owner just pay themselves all of their paycheck protection loan. They're, they're, they're going to keep, they're still going to keep the caps in there. But basically like is if you can justify that you spent this on a legitimate business expense, you're good. You're going to get forgiveness. Like, and we were just talking about this earlier, like you said, similar to the uh, EIDL loans, as long as it's used for business purposes, you're fine. So I'm, I'm starting to wonder, is that why banks aren't opening yet? Because they don't want to go through the hassle of trying of, of verifying all this stuff when if the rules are going to change here in the next two weeks, it's a waste of their time. You're 100 percent right, Mark. I, I think that's I, I know of some banks that are open, but I know of a lot of banks that are just kind of dragging their feet. And, you know, I think the other thing too, Mark, to keep in mind, and we've seen this in, in publications and news releases everywhere, this this whole concept that the the um, the Congress is going to pass a law that's going to forgive everything one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or less. Now, mm-hmm. again, that's 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 right now, you know, in the in the in the realm of hearsay, I guess you can say, because you know it's a rumor more than anything. But I mean, it does make sense, and the, re- the reason why it makes sense to me, Mark, is there's five point two million loans that were issued <laughs> across the country. That are paycheck protection loans for five hundred billion dollars. If they were to do that and, and relieve everything under one hundred and fifty, that's eighty six percent of the loans that are gone. And to me, that makes sense because then you could allow it allows the banks and allows the SBA to focus on the bigger loans where that's where you have the bigger potential for fraud, right? right. That's where you have the bigger potential for misuse of the funds. And second thing is. These banks and the SBA just plain out don't have the resources to. Oh, and, and how could they? Yeah, yeah and, and to your right. point, you know, all these loans of hundred fifty thousand dollars or less. Even if you go in there and investigate all of them, every single one that you find is fraudulent. Max, you're going to get is one hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> exactly, the return on your investment is really, really limited in these matters. But you know, just the volume. I mean, just right. think about the volume. I mean. We, we have a local bank here in, in, in central Pennsylvania that advertised that they did 2,500 loans. Now, doing wow. the 2,500, now think about it. I mean, doing the, doing the loan itself is one thing, but now it's probably 10 times more work to do the forgiveness piece. Right. There's no way they have the resources to do this. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is you're asking for all this data and documentation, 941s, payroll reports, receipts and copies of uh, – receipts of copies of a uh, non-payroll related cost utility bills who's going to review all that it's a good question i mean seriously i mean I, somebody asked me the question today mark of so if you're an owner and your healthcare costs are running through the company as part of the healthcare how's the bank going to figure all that out right how would you know I'm like yeah you're right as long I, and i said to him i was like yeah, i guess you're right I, I, I don't know i mean unless somebody's really digging into that detail well, yeah. Are you gonna Are you gonna ask for the owner's W two and and their health care plan for, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a five thousand dollar number? Right. So, I mean, the bottom line is, Mark. I think the things we learned is a, you know, from what we're seeing, I would just pick the twenty four week period and stick to it. B, I wouldn't be in any any huge uh, rush to file mm-hmm. early. I would kind of just wait and see what happens because you may eliminate a lot of work, uh, depending on what legislation is. And number three. Apply as much of it to payroll as you possibly can, because that was going to that, that will definitely guarantee your loan forgiveness. Because even if you had reductions in FTEs or you had 
reductions in salary that that you would have to apply against the loan forgiveness if you apply everything to payroll more likely than not that's going to overcome overcompensate for those uh, issues and that that's a good thing we, we should remind people of your payroll costs that you put on the application they can be higher than the loan amount so what dave just said if you have so if you have an fte reduction we all know there's 75 exceptions for that, that if you can't get out of your FTE, uh, we said previously, the only way you're going to get dinged on the FTE reduction is if basically you had work for people to do, you could have paid them and you just decided not to. Uh, that's the only way you're going to get dinged on the FTE. On the, you're pretty on, much right on that. On the salary reduction. So you say you, you reduce somebody's salary by 26%. So you're, you, you failed the tests. If your payroll costs, if, if you have a, a $500,000 loan, and over the 24 weeks, you, your total payroll costs are a million dollars. I mean, unless your your payroll reduction was 50% across the board, you're fine. So your payroll costs can be much higher than your loan amount. And then that way <clears throat> you can even have a reduction in your forgiveness amount because you reduce salaries uh, or hourly wages by more than 25% and still get full forgiveness. Just makes sense. I mean, that's the way calculations work, right? I mean, we're, we're, that's just how it works. Math is tough to argue with. Exactly right. Exactly. So, Mark, with that being said, one of the last items I think we want to talk about today that seems to be hot, hot button topic, hot button topic is this whole thing with this uh, deferred employee uh, payroll for their Social Security. And whether it makes sense or not, specifically for the businesses to be involved in, in, in this. And, um, you know, when you look at this legislation, it, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It, it really doesn't. I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's just, it, it's more of an administrative nightmare than it's going to be anything. And, I, you know, I mean, you deal more on the tax side than I do, obviously, but I mean, from a payroll perspective, dealing with small business clients, I just, this could be overwhelming. And then, yeah. I don't know. Why, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about the summary of this thing? So I know of no one who's doing this. Uh, I know of I know of no businesses who are taking advantage of this. The only business where I can think it does or, or it could be a possibility is if I own my own S Corp. And so I'm an employee of the S Corp or C Corp, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm the only employee. Well, I, I'll, I'm going to be here from September through the end of the year. And more than likely, I'm gonna be here for January through March of next year, right, or through April of next year. So I I can just hold on to my, my portion of social security tax and then pay it back in next year. I know I'm gonna be here, it's, it, it's and for, so, so from that standpoint, it's a no brainer. If I have any employees who I don't know if they're gonna be here, why, why would I even possibly hey. take that risk? It, it, exactly. I mean, because the way I think the way the rules read is that the employer is still responsible for withholding it and submitting it, right? So, yeah, it, the law is that it is the employer's responsibility to withhold and uh, remit payroll tax. So, if you don't withhold it, then you're on the employer is on the hook come next year to repay this. Uh, you know, the, the counter argument to that is, well, why don't I just withhold it? and then but hold on to it and then pay it in next year once you withhold it you are bound by law to remit it um timely 
So you can't, you just can't do that. Uh, the, the other, one of the ar other arguments I've heard is, well, this is going to get, this could get forgiven. I, I mean, sure, I guess that's a possibility. Um, but how many, obviously there's not a Democrat out there who's going to, to agree to this because they're not going to agree to anything Trump says. How many Republicans have you heard come out and say, this yeah, is a good idea and we're going to forgive this? Yeah, you're hundred percent right about that. I, I just, I have not seen I know, yeah, I know. Not entourage. I've not seen a large entourage of of Republicans, whether Senate or House, come out and say, "Yeah, this is a great idea." Right. I think they've uh, they're all kind of saying to themselves, "Well, you know, the president proposed it; it's in his plan. We're just going to take a low profile on this one." But it's just, I mean, Mark. I mean, it, it really, at the end of the day, it just doesn't make a lot of sense from the perspective of you're going to withhold this money. Or, or this money is going to be held really at the end of the day by the employee. And then they're expected to remit that portion that's been deferred as well as the current payroll in the first couple quarters of next year. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I just, you know, I, I, and, and then also you're saying to the employee that they have to be, they have to make sure that they hold enough of that money back to be able to, to remit that in the first quarter of the next year. Exactly. I just don't see that yeah. happening. So to, to summarize this issue, there's there's really no support across Congress for a payroll tax cut or deferral. Um, so, but hey, if you can take advantage of it, do it. You know that's that that's fine. It's right. not it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, just keep in mind, uh, if you're paying employees who may not be here next year, you as the employer are going to be on the hook for it. Exactly right. So I mean that's the. That's the that's the risk that you run with this whole program is that you know even though it's the employee's portion of the tax, it's the employer still responsible. So keep that in mind as you decide to put this program in place. But um, if you want to do it, like you said, Mark, you know, go ahead and do it. If the employees want to do that, that's fine. Just you know, there's it's there's there is some risk to it. So, Mark, I think that's it. I think we have accomplished our first podcast. I mean. It's very I'm exciting. Excited. Yeah, I'm excited about it, Mark. I think it is. I, it, it was pretty exciting stuff. So <laughs> looking forward to doing the next podcast. Uh, we'll uh, be back in touch with everybody on when that next podcast will be as new developments occur with this program, as well as any other types of legislation that's out there or any other types of uh, tax and accounting guidance that may be out there that may be, um, that may be relevant for everybody to talk for us to talk about and review. But That's right. And we, we love hearing from you. If you have thoughts, commentary, things you want us to talk about, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. With that being said, Mark, thank you for your time. Uh, this is Dave Blaine. This is Mark Heath. Um, have a great day. Thanks, everybody.